Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sam Richardson is best known for playing Richard Splett, the overly optimistic voice in Selena Meyer's administration on HBO's Veep. Richardson spent summers in his childhood across the globe in Ghana with his mother's side of the family, but he's also a Detroit native through and through, getting his comedy start as a teen taking classes at Second City Detroit, and later co-creating and co-starring in two seasons of Detroiters with his best friend Tim Robinson on Comedy Central. You've seen Richardson in a variety of roles on screens big and small over the last five years. In 2019, he's part of Veep's Fond Farewell from HBO, as well as the premiere season of Champaign, Illinois on YouTube Premium, where he co-stars with Adam Pally as members of their best friend's entourage who lose their best friend and everything else. There's a lot to get to, so let's get to it! So Sam, last last things first. Uh, are you a big D on your Detroit Tigers hat or a small D? That was a big D. Yeah, old English D. <laughs> I, I I saw that was a big news item. I didn't realize it was a uh, it was an issue in Detroit. Yeah, I know people are losing their minds over. I really, I, actually, I'm I'm not. I don't I don't care that much about it, but like. I like that big game. <laughs> Not, well, the chassis is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't. I'm well. Hmm, how about this? I haven't. I haven't verbalized my opinion on it. The small D is the classic, and it's the best. But the big D, I don't hate it as much as everybody else does. How about that? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just figured I'd throw out the the weird question <laughs> at the start. Um, yeah. <laughs> having 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 spent like half of your childhood or like three quarters of your childhood in Detroit, but then the other quarter or third in Ghana, how much did having to uh-huh. fit into both of those worlds influence your desire to become an actor in the first place? I think it was there's always just like an element of like playing roles and then like the fantasy of it. Uh, like when you're when you're like jump between like cultures, there's like automatically an element of like make believe that goes with it, or like just kind of filling in the blanks. So I think I just like naturally gravitate towards wanting to do that more. Uh, just had like a, a knack for it, I think. So I guess I'm saying I'm a sociopath <laughs> who can <laughs> blend into anything. Well, how how did you? Uh, how did you find your way to Second City, Detroit? Because that, you must have gotten there toward the very end of it, right? Uh, toward, towards the end, uh, end is. I got to Second City in Detroit, and let's say I was like 15 years old, 14 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, so that would have been, yeah. Uh, in, in the old building, uh, down, when it was downtown. And I started taking classes there when I was in high school. Uh, my, a friend of mine named Pete Jacobs was taking classes there and he was doing his class show. And, you know, like, 
loving comedy like I did, and like knowing that Ghostbusters came from SNL and SNL came from Second City, you know, that's like the, the young lineage that the association that I made at that time. I was like, oh, well, Second City. Oh, this is Second City in Detroit. Let me go check out the show. And so I would just like end up going all the time after that, from May 14. Uh, and then when I was like 15, 16, I was able to take classes. Uh, yeah, so that was still, see, I'm 35 now. So that's 21 years ago, 20, 20 years ago. Wait, so <laughs> so were you going there young enough to see Keegan-Michael Key there? Uh, yeah, Keegan was, was performing there. Meredith Monroe was performing there. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I was, I was seeing uh, uh, Antoine McKay perform when I was like, going to see shows. I was at Keegan's last night of, of his like time at Second City, as a matter of fact. Uh, just in the audience. Mm-hmm. But seeing but seeing yeah. those people then move on to things that that must have given you hope that that taking classes there you could you could end up having a career out of Second City Detroit. It, it really did because like you know like seeing these people come through there and like seeing they could move and like like go to these like large careers. It made it really. Uh, like realistic, made the goal realistic. Mm-hmm. Like it go, like it, it seemed like a a, a, a viable option. <laughs> like like <laughs> they, they used to call it like Jerry C. Minor uh, was like the first guy to like go from Second City Detroit to Second City Chicago and like can't go after that on some minute. Mm-hmm. So we would split. <laughs> it was like a little. It was called the Minor Underground Railroad, where like black actors would. <laughs> kind of like go from <laughs> Second City Detroit to Second City Chicago and then like kind of move on because like Second City would move them from there and then like I think I was the last one on that railroad <laughs> so if you're on that if you're on that railroad how did you jump off the train and onto a cruise ship <laughs> there's one stop on it there's a stop on that railroad was out to sea <laughs> that, that, that road was supposed to go to Chicago or to Hollywood. It just took a, it took a, it took a, it was like a, a long way over, just mm-hmm. out of its way. Somehow they saved money that way. <laughs> when you, when you, when you took the the Second City cruise ship gig, did you think of it, think of that as a stepping stone, or just something fun to do? Uh, both. You know, I was like twenty. 122 years old on that cruise ship mm-hmm. like, so I was working like five hours a week I was performing in front of the largest audiences I'd ever like 1500 seat theater you know every week so I was like really honing my skills out there performing to live audiences with repetition uh, bigger audiences than you know maybe the largest audiences I've ever played for I, I up until like when I got into the touring company in Second City where we would go the places and sometimes say like 3,000 seat, 4,000 seat audiences, huge. But uh, at that time, it was just there was no better teacher than just to be completely engulfed in it. And like, how to see? So all I was doing was thinking and talking and doing sketch and improv, you yeah. know? But then at the same time, because it was like the same thing all the time, I kind of started to feel like I was uh, atrophying and like wasn't growing as a performer and was doing the exact same thing. So you start to feel yourself falling into patterns and like just a intense sense of doom so I 
to there. So if I didn't read and move to L.A. and they offered me the Second City uh, main stage in Chicago, or touring company in Chicago, so then I moved to Chicago from there. Yeah, one of the, one of the things is, that was interesting to me about your bio is that unlike a lot of people who, who come up through improv and sketch through Chicago and then, you know, either go straight to L.A. or New York or they go to Amsterdam and then L.A., is that by you doing the cruise mm-hmm. ship and then doing the touring company, you ended up exposing yourself to all these different kinds of audiences that you would never get in Chicago or L.A. And that must have had some sort of impact on your ability to have an even broader appeal. Even like like coming from Detroit into all those different places, like the audience is in like let's say from Chicago, Second City, the audiences there uh, are going to specifically see sketch comedy or improv comedy. They know that Chicago and Second City is that, so they're going with that goal. Like it's a tourist destination to go see those things. You go to a show in Detroit. The audience was like, uh, maybe it's a stand-up, maybe this isn't, who knows, maybe, uh, like, they don't really, really have a, as, as, uh, as strong an under- understanding of what Second City is as they did in Chicago. Right. So we had to work harder to get the audiences on our side and quicker and, like, be just really sharp. It was like, it was like, you know, uh, resistance training underwater. <laughs> like, like, just, we, we had to be so much better and, and stronger than we ever would have had to. So I think when myself and then Tim moved to Chicago to join these things, everyone's like, whoa, where did these guys come from? It's like, oh, no, we've been <laughs> training in, uh, in, in super gravity. Yeah. So, like, we were ready, like, to, to perform and, like, get those laughs on, on our side. And then, like, with that, I, I mix that with going all over the country uh, and, like, learning from different audiences, you, you do sort of, like, get a shorthand of, like, what works in like the south versus what works in the east coast versus what works in the west coast and it's not about uh you know uh placating or, or kind of not changing your performance but you do learn to like dial things in and up and around uh which was like an invaluable experience like just knowing that you know the phrase know your audience it's true it's so true yeah <laughs> Well, that's also got to really come in handy when you get a guest, you get a guest role on a season three of Veep, and you're jumping into this well-established crew of actors and actresses who are all kind of a well-oiled machine, and then you just drop in there and you have to suddenly fit in. So, exactly, you have to like try and get in there and play up to where everybody is playing. But also not try to overshadow, you know, not try to, to stand out too much because you want to fit in and seem like you're part of the fabric that's always been there, you know. And I think I was fortunate enough to have uh, the experience and training there going in, uh, and then Julia. For that first episode of Veep, whether you went in with the game plan of. I'm just going to have as much fun as I can and make this the best episode possible or whether you had a game plan of I'm going to make myself so indispensable that they'll have to have me back. Really, my game plan was to go in and just do a good enough to have fun, of course, so I didn't like feel like uptight, but to have, but just do a good job to like serve the role 
so that and so that I get hired in other things. Mm. You know what I mean? So that I can show that I can do the job. So if anybody else wants to hire me for guest, uh, <laughs> like go to that and be like, oh, that guy's good, you know. Uh, but it worked out in the best way. <laughs> How how long did how fun. how long did it take you to feel part of the the family then uh, on Veep? Uh, pretty quick. They're, they're all pretty warm and and open. Uh, I didn't come in officially as a as a full cast member until the fourth season, uh, and then kind of fall into the the family pretty quick because we're all in Baltimore, all essentially staying at the same hotel. So it was like sleepaway camp. Okay. So like pretty soon into season four, I was like, it, it, I was just into the fabric of it. You know? Yeah. Uh, and like, and like, also like, I, I was out in Baltimore a lot because so, I did episodes one. They brought me back for episode two, and then I kind of kept on going back out. Uh, and then I, they put me in episode ten uh, at the end of the season. So I'd kind of been like floating into Baltimore, just kind of as a just in case. So I was like getting to know everybody, but then when I was a member of the cast cast, then that was, uh, you know, uh, all hands on deck. How, how, how much, how much did becoming a regular on Veep help when it came terms to selling Detroiters to Comedy Central? Uh, well, you know, we were all like, like, uh, when I was. When they were asking me to become a regular, I, I'd, I'd ask them to tell I said, well, you know, I've, I've got this show, Detroiters, that's kind of uh, going. Like, we're, we're almost sold. So, like, I, I, it certainly didn't hurt because they, people could see that I could do episodic television. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think, I, I, I think Detroiters sold itself outside of, like, myself being on the beat, you know? I know. I know that. Uh, I know that when you had to announce the end of season two, that wasn't how you hoped the the series would end. Have you Have you been able to come to terms with it, or have you kept the fire alive for Detroiters? Uh, my, my fire's going to be alive for a while, uh, with or without uh, a viable uh, new home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and if not there, I, I just won't give up on it. But yeah, you know, maybe that's uh, futile and and, uh, and 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 stupid of me. But I just love that show so much, and just the experience you can do that with my best friend. And it's a show that's like unique to anything. Like I don't think there's another show. Right. Maybe people fought for show, which kind of hurt us. Also, the idea that Comedy Central doesn't stream. <laughs> well, I don't think it advertised for us. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it. Se- it sounds as futile as it might have sounded if you had said this ten years ago. Because so many shows are finding new homes or finding new lives for themselves. So it's almost. It's almost at a point where. Yeah, so you know. Yeah, when a show gets canceled, it's like, is it really canceled, or is it just going to move somewhere? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, yeah. It's it's not it's not quite like what happens in Champaign, Illinois, where where you and Adam find yourselves completely penniless right from the drop. <laughs> exactly, like we we've kind of stuff landing pads. Like Tim's busy, I'm busy, so we you know we've we've got stuff to do in the meantime. <laughs> do you having you know having been 
different parts of different series on different platforms. Do you get a sense that it in 2019 that it matters where a show is? I guess something that it matters. I think it does matter still very much because, uh, like, the pe- people like things stream that like people have to know to go find it to stream it. People are still going to be comfortable watching network television because there's com- there's comfortability there and there's advertisement there and there's like a schedule to it, uh, sort of tradition to it. So they're, they're coming to that versus like a cable show where. If you get a following, then people can follow it there. But then, like, there's a stream element built in. It's all so complicated. But I think it does matter still. It's not at the point where everything is Netflix and everything is Hulu. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we're not there yet. Everything's not HBO Go. Uh, I, I think there there's such a, a complicated and, like, sophisticated way that people absorb television now. Right. Uh, that it's it, it, nobody's quite got it 100% figured out yet. <laughs> yeah, because you've been apart, like, HBO, cut, well, first you you got on the, the finale of The Office, NBC, then you were at HBO, then Comedy Central, yep. Yep. now YouTube Premium. <laughs> yeah, there's all of them. Yeah. There's all of them. Have there been any platforms that you've, that you've been approached by and you're like, I don't think anybody even knows what that is. Um, not really. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 I've been approached by them. It's 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 been a, a, like a kind of development thing, like mm-hmm. maybe like the possibility of developing something new. And I'm like, well, hey, it, possibly right. because who knew? Who who knows? Like when people were talking about Hulu, how many years ago? Everybody's like, what? That sounds ridiculous, right? <laughs> you know, or people like the, the idea of like Netflix being what Netflix is now. Like Netflix, you mean that that fake blockbuster? Sure. And now Netflix runs the world, <laughs> you know. So I certainly am not in any like seeing how the way this game works. I mm. I am not discounting any platform. All right. Uh, I think to, however, the reactionary platform that some people at some places do, where they uh, behold their content. Mm-hmm. those things but there's no way for anybody to get to them right detrimental self-detrimental uh and you know I, I hope that's solved to a certain networks <laughs> a certain network uh it, it fix that right <laughs> I feel like that might come up in the next uh SAG-AFTRA talks actually ah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> And then that's another thing too, like like seeing how streaming, like like how long is it before we like really kind of renegotiate as actors and performers what our value and our worth is in the streaming media, whereas like you know residuals don't work the same way now, uh, the contracts are are like you know like it's it's a uh, certainly not <laughs> I'm certainly not trying. <laughs> right, uh, but also all of this stuff is so completely new since you got since you since you started Second City Detroit at, back in '99. Yeah. It was like yeah. all of all of this stuff is yeah. is all new and foreign. Mm-hmm. It's all different. Yeah. So you know, uh, 
it's it's all very uh, interesting. Like what where the next steps of everything will go. Um, what are the I I know I'm, I'm taking a risk by asking this because you are young, and you also weren't uh, one of the creators of Champagne, Illinois, but. I was I was caught uh, off guard, but in a pleasant way. The fact that Adam's parents are played by uh, Curtis Armstrong and Alice Beasley, who were who were a couple back in Moonlighting, in back in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I just I, I guess I'm just saying that to point it out more than a question. <laughs> yeah, no, fair, fair enough. <laughs> Very cool, like Easter egg. Yeah, how many how many other Easter eggs are there in that show? Younger people. Um, there's a few. Like the end, like like an episode. I think it's episode eight, episode seven, mm-hmm. maybe. Where uh, it's episode eight, where uh, I'm do, I'm doing like a teleconference or the, the tele telemarketers like conference. We do the whole award ceremony is like shot for shot. A parody of Boogie Nights, the award ceremony of Boogie Nights. Oh, nice! Like even my speech is like the exact same speech that he does when, what Dirk Diggler does when mm-hmm. he wins, <laughs> and like down to like a karate kick. Like we, we, I like I watched it so specifically. Tried to like get the cadence down. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's like there's stuff like that. Nice. That kind of like put out throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Have you you've never been part of an entourage yourself, have you? No, I have not. <laughs> I have not. You're a leader, not a follower. Uh I'm a leader, not a follower. <laughs> uh, I'm a wolf pack of all alphas. <laughs> um I'm gonna let you go, but the before I do, uh I like to ask uh everyone I interview like if you were to go back to Detroit and and find like a teenage kid who's standing outside the boarded up Second City building, wanting to know how 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 he or she can can make it in comedy, what would you tell that teenager? What would I tell that teenager who's waiting outside? Who then <laughs> well, there's no Second City Detroit, so. <laughs> There is not like, buddy, where are you right now? (laughs) This is an empty building. (laughs) This is an Andiamo restaurant. (laughs) Uh, I just say, like, (laughs) I'd say just absorb uh, absorb and learn as much as you can about any and everything. That's always my advice to any person who's, like, getting into acting or getting into comedy or whatever. It's just, like, absorb because like you all the only like the, the amount of reference you have in the world is all the things that you know you can't you can't ever pretend to know something that you don't mm. you, you know what I mean that will automatically come off false so you can always be dumber but you can never be smarter than you are if that makes sense no that's a great I mean, point of course like an actor can play you, you know what I mean like an actor of course can play a rocket scientist but the more you know about rocket science the better you're able to perform that role <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I. No, that's a great. That's a great point. I, I hadn't heard that before. So. Oh, well, good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad for that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't uh, cut off this phone call after I lost you midway through. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sam. Yeah, I appreciate it. Really appreciate you. Thanks. <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.